There's nothing that can get in your way when you're passionate about your goals and when you're building something great. And when you get great people around you, it's an unstoppable force. And I just tried to keep that theme going throughout my career. After graduating from college, Drew Frank bet on himself. He moved from Philadelphia to Denver with only one option, success. And he succeeded at the highest level right from the start. His entire career has been a shining example of what's possible when you combine ambition, passion, effort, and amazing teammates. Drew shares the entire formula for his success in this conversation. And with these insights, you too can build something great. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Drew Frank, and today is one of the most anticipated interviews since this podcast began, as Drew is one of the Cutco Vector all-time greats. Uh, He is a veteran of the company since 2003, started while he was a college student at Penn State University. Uh, where he graduated with a degree in management and a minor in international business. He became a manager in 2007. He moved to Colorado for that. And he was the company's number one new district manager that year. And this led to a string of consecutive years being number one at whatever level Drew was competing at in the company uh, for over a decade of excellence. Drew is the company's all-time national record holder for sales in one office. His Denver office produced $3.7 million in sales uh, in a year. And he is also the division manager of the Rocky Mountain Division, which has been number one in the company multiple times over the last few years. Uh, And Drew is truly recognized as the greatest field manager in the history of the company, So I'm really looking forward to the insights and ideas that come out of this conversation today. Drew, thanks so much for making the time. Thanks, Dan. I get to hang out with you for an hour. So I'm, uh, I'm pumped. And you say that I'm the greatest field manager of all time. I grew up in the business where everybody said Dan Cassetta is the greatest field manager of all time. And I still believe that to this day. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you for uh, the gracious words right there. But uh, you have certainly taken over that mantle at this point. So uh, looking forward to this conversation as well. It's going to be great. Let's go back to 2003, talk a little bit about uh, how you got started with Cutco Vector. So why don't you start us off with that? Sure. Uh, my brother, Wes, uh, who is now the division manager in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for the Rising Sun division, he was selling Cutco uh, throughout college. And uh, I was in high school and I used to uh, ride along with him and he used to make me go to the office when he was picking up rope and leather. And I met Earl Kelly one day when, uh, when I was uh, stopping by. So I kind of knew that I was going to be selling Cutco once I graduated my middle brother, Lee, started a month before I did. So we kind of tag team started at the same time. Within that month, he sold everybody on my list. So I had a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, he ended up being the uh, the best out of the Franks. He hit uh, his FSM level his first summer. And uh, he still holds that over mine and Wes's head to, uh, to this day. But started selling Cutco right after graduating high school. Had a, a really great experience, like many do. Learned incredible work ethic and time management. and Sold a bunch of knives, made a bunch of money, and met a lot of cool people. And uh, I was just really attracted to mainly the mentors. 
Uh, there were a lot of really, really inspirational leaders that I looked up to and that kind of took me on a path towards getting into management and paved my way through Penn State for four years, going through the management program and selling knives over the summer. Yeah. Who, who do you feel was the key leader in your early days when you were a rep that impacted well, you? My first manager was a guy named Mike Habucky, and uh, he was the most charismatic and hardest working guy that I had ever seen. And I just, you know, watched him and I said, I, I want to work like that. And he was always on point, always on fire, uh, just always wore a clean suit and a, a tight tie. And it was just, uh, I was like, I want to be like that guy. So uh, I just followed, uh, followed along and then kind of took a you know, took his leadership. Uh, also, my brother Wes. Wes was my pilot manager my first summer, so I went through training, and and Wes was critiquing me on my my role playing. So that was that was fun, and, and I've I've always just kind of followed Wes in, in his footsteps from you know just from high school and tennis and youth group and going to Penn State. I just kind of always done what Wes did, so uh, that led me in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. That's great. W- what went into you moving to Colorado? Well, I was an assistant manager for four years and I was pretty good at the job and deciding what I wanted to do after graduating. And Wes was already a district manager uh, in Arizona at the time and he was having some success. And I decided I would give it a shot and, and I didn't really have any other specific plans of, of what I wanted to do. So uh, I kind of knew that I was going to go DM, but I didn't know where. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was from Colorado. So I had this dilemma of, you know, do I, do I stay in, in the Northeast region or do I go to Colorado and, uh, you know, it's great leadership on, on both ends. So I, I met with leaders in Northeast region. I remember playing tennis with Rick Castro and, and that was kind of like my breakup, uh, date with, with the Northeast region, uh, <laughs> uh tell, telling Rick, Rick that I wanted to move to Colorado to, you know, pursue my girlfriend and, and, uh, and district manager at the same time. But he was totally supportive, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I went out to uh, Colorado and I met with Ramon Rouse, who was the division manager at the time. Uh, we had lunch and, and he was just the, the most supportive uh, guy and just the, uh, you know, really, really a, an incredible mentor for me as I was a, a new district manager. It just made me feel totally comfortable. He found my office for me uh, before I even moved out uh, because I was studying abroad in Jerusalem for, for the semester before, uh, before going DM. So the Rocky Mountain Division really uh, made me feel welcome. I remember going to a year-end banquet, my first year-end banquet in Southwest Region before I officially joined the region, and I met Nick Matlack and Patty Breton, who you know was just giving everybody high fives, and I was like, "All right, this is my new my new home." So it, it was just a really welcoming uh, feel. But that's how I got to Colorado. Cool, that's great. And and Wes was already there in the Southwest Region. He had moved previous to you to run the division in Arizona. Is that correct? Yes, he was out there for maybe two years. And, uh, so that was my entry into the Southwest region. He, he gave Lloyd Reagan, uh, a little bit of a, you know, a good word for me and, uh, and said that I would be okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of your experiences that you had early in your career, whether it be, uh, rep experiences when you were still back in Philadelphia area or some early experiences as a manager once you got to Colorado. I'd like to find out, you know, what were some of the more transformational experiences in your career and, and what lessons do you feel came out of those experiences? Sure. Well, first, I think the just overall, the experience of being a, a Cutco sales rep for four years during college, going through the management training program, that was so transformational at a young age, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, learning about work ethic and how the effort I put in, you know, created a result and everything was a reflection of me. And I, I really took that on and, and realized early on that everything that I do is getting me closer or further from my goal. And uh, just putting in that effort and constantly realizing that my results, my my paycheck, my where I am in the standings is a reflection of the effort that I put in and also a reflection of my attitude. So uh, I really learned about work ethic and attitude. And, and those two concepts uh, really, you know, taken a a course over the last decade plus. And that's what I try to instill in all of my managers and all of the reps who are in my organization now. Uh, So, so that experience of a rep just really changed me and gave me that, that confidence. I learned how to take interest in others. Uh, and that vector taught me that about how to really understand others, how to learn, uh, how to see from different perspective and how to, how to view from a different lens. I remember connecting with some really incredible people, whether it was assistant managers or reps, 
Alicia Ander, who is a Hall of Fame Cutco sales professional now. She was a rep when I was an assistant manager, and I remember the connection that we made and and uh, working together and helping each other during push weeks and hitting goals. And those types of experiences really helped me quite a bit. So a- as a rep, that was uh, quite transformational. You, you know, you, you referenced the direct connection between effort and results. And it, it's obviously, I think for a lot of people, that, that is something that they can relate to working here in Vector. Outside of Vector, I don't know that there's necessarily a straight line between, you know, effort and outcomes, but there is a, a little bit of a squiggly line that uh, gets people there. And I, and I think it's important for people to realize that uh, if you bring your best to what you do every day, that your results will be greater and, and your rewards will be greater. And we learn that vector because there is that straight line where like literally if you bust your butt for a week, you get a big paycheck that week, almost always. And, um, and so that's a, a value that I think comes from the early days in vector. But what I, what I also think is important about that concept is that that applies outside of work as well, right? The effort we put into any area of our life is going to end up, you know, bearing its fruit. And a lot of times, if, uh, if there's an area of life that we're not succeeding at at the level that we want to be succeeding at, it, uh, there needs to be a, a, a greater effort or a, or a, a smarter effort in order to be successful in that area. So, uh, it was cool that you were able to learn that through your four years as a sales rep. How about once you got to Colorado? What were some of the experiences that you had as a relatively new manager in the company? You came out of the gate and were number one, you know, right out of the gate uh, as a new manager. What, uh, were some experiences you had? Sure. I, I think the, the move itself was an experience and just taking that risk. My, my parents were totally supportive. They gave me, my mom gave me her minivan and I drove that right after my last final in college and drove it out to Colorado. So the risk of moving halfway across the country and realizing that I had to succeed. I had no choice but to win at this because I left everything behind. I left my family, my friends. I had my girlfriend and I had, you know, a little office on Fifth and Sheridan, but that was it. And I, I had no choice but to be great at this job. So I fully committed. I completely sold out and I gave in to all the cliches about, you know, work ethic and attitude and putting in the time. And, you know, I read all the books and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to grind. I'm going to go 24 seven. And, uh, and I did. So the experience of not having a plan B was, was really important to me because I didn't give myself an opportunity to, uh, to fail at this. Yeah. Wow. I like what you said about having no plan B once you got to Colorado, that, uh, you put yourself in a position where success was your only option as the great uh, philosopher Eminem once said, or something like that. So what else came out of that, uh, those early days as a manager in Colorado? Well, we had pretty fast growth. As you said, we came out of the gates. We were the, the top office in the company. I remember uh, learning a lot of lessons by, by competing at the top. And I think it was important for me that I was uh, elevating my game and considering myself as one of the top you know, new managers. And that led me to fall in love with competition. There were two guys right off the, right off the bat, Ben Taka and Joe Geneza, who, uh, we would compete against each other in the sales report every week was, was back and forth. And, and that helped me make sure that I didn't cut any corners. It kept me accountable. So that, that early start taught me about competition. Uh, it also taught me about early leadership. There were uh, a couple specific people that believed in the vision right off the bat. I was a brand new manager on this, this, this office that is in the worst part of town. I had, there's glass in the parking lot, uh, you know, bars on the windows. We were like the garden level, which is basement. And, uh, and, and I had, uh, these, you know, all of these leaders and these three specifically said, I'm in, I'm all in. And whatever you're talking about, whatever vision you're spewing out, it's, it's working. And, and it just, it felt good to be able to, uh, galvanize a team and create leaders and, and have people believe in me. And the, the bigger we grew, the, the more we craved that. And I remember having training groups of 50 plus and, and, uh, and, and that team meetings were a standing room only. And it was because these leaders really stepped up and, and I really, I learned how to rely on them. I, I learned how to, uh, utilize uh, their leadership, their effort, and and uh, allow them to take ownership and give them the opportunity to inspire and, and create results. 
part, part of that, uh, that office though was hysterical because we were on the corner of, of this really crazy, uh, t- uh, this area. And next door, there was a, a house that was a psychic, you know, business. And one time we had a training, I had 50 something people in, in day one training. And this, uh, this lady, uh, starts slamming on the windows, knocking on, on the door. She's like leaning down because we're garden level. She's knocking on the, the window and I'm running training and all these, these, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old, uh, students are staring at me like, what are you going to do about this? This lady's going nuts. She's screaming and cursing and like, you know, get your effing cars off my, you know, lawn and property. And I was like, you know, I, I looked at my, I looked at her and looked at my reps and I was like, you know, she's a psychic. You would have thought that she would have predicted this was going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then my group just lost it. And it was, it kind of, it taught me that you know, you can have fun. And it taught me that, you know, any situation is, uh, is it, you know, you can deal with, and there's nothing that can, can get in your way when you're passionate about your goals. And when you're building something great, nothing uh, can get in your way. And uh, when you get great people around you, it's an unstoppable force. And I just tried to keep that theme going throughout my career. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. I-, I think, Drew, what, what people would love for me to do in this conversation is to deconstruct drew frank it's to really get into the mind and the heart of drew frank and find out you know what are some of the qualities or attributes that you feel have most helped you to succeed the first one as i as i mentioned is competition Uh, at every level i tried to compete and try to not because of necessarily ego or pride or wanting the trophies, but if I knew that I was competing against the, the best, then it would make sure that I was always elevating my game. And I knew that I was always going to get the best out of myself. I was always going to uh, make, make sure that I was mastering my craft and I was leading from the front. So competition was uh, was important to me, and I try to instill that in in our team. I think one of the the attributes that I learned early on from one of my early mentors, which I was really fortunate to meet Trent Booth when I was a new district manager, Trent taught me, you know, about looking at other people's perspective and lenses and understanding the human element behind, behind business. So I, I try to have as authentic as conversations as possible. I try to be as direct as possible and talk to people like humans and, and not look at people like numbers and stats. And when I talk to people about whether it's business or personal, uh, treating people and talking to people exactly the way that I would want them to talk to me about my business. So those were some, uh, a, a couple attributes that I think I learned early on from, from some of my mentors. I always try to lead from the front. And uh, whether it was as a, a new manager, just working hard and, and taking on the responsibilities in my office, or even as a division manager, still doing the frontline work uh, to stay a- ahead of the curve, to have my finger on the pulse, to be able to have one credibility when I'm when I'm talking on a subject, but two, be able to continue developing programs. And in the Rocky Mountain Division. We are known for uh, taking on challenges with new programs, uh, thinking outside the box, being creative about how things are done, and and taking calculated risks. So leading from the front, constantly improving has been important. The most important thing that I that I think that we've that have given us this success over time or, or me is just trying to simplify the business. And Early on, I, I went field trainer cross training with a guy named Jake Bailey, and it was my first fall. And I, I went and learned from him, and and he taught me how to question everything in a positive way, and look at the business and ask yourself, why are you saying what you, you're saying? Why are you doing what you're doing? And it, from a positive perspective, just question everything. And and so I really started studying my business. I really started studying my interview, my training, my my one on ones, my my schedule, uh, just, you know how things were done. And and I I didn't want to just do things because that's the way they were always done. So uh, we simplified. I, I'm known for creating the one page PDFs. It's kind of uh, detailed simplicity. I have hundreds of one page PDFs, and I have a strong 
philosophy and strong opinion that anything that's more than one page is way too complicated. So I just try to boil things down and I'll give one example. And uh, we, we work with sales reps and, you know, you could talk for days and days about how to, how to inspire, motivate and get reps to sell Cutco. And I spent most of the years, my early years, overcomplicating the business. And then I realized, just keep it simple. And, and I realized that people succeed in, in anything, especially in sales and Cutco, because they feel good they have people to call and they have a plan. Now you can translate that to any business or, or any activity. So people feeling good about what they're doing, things to do, and in our case is people to call and a plan of action or direction. So no matter if somebody's a brand new rep out of training, feeling good, being inspired and feeling appreciated, having people to call an initial names list, and then having direction, which is a plan, a schedule to go after their first initial sales or you know, let's say Curtis JQs, arguably the greatest rep of all time, uh, who I've been fortunate to get to work with for over a decade. He still needs to feel good. He needs things to do and people to call and he needs direction and a plan. And so when we consolidate and we really focus on what people's needs are, what do people really, really need? And for me, it's true appreciation and, and recognition, uh, teaching through, through recognition, teaching through appreciation and helping people, you know, get the results and, and, and ultimately, uh, giving direction. And that direction might be inspiration. It might be motivation. It might be a, a specific plan, but I try to simplify my, my core beliefs and philosophies and it makes it easier to teach. Yeah. You have developed a reputation as one who's known for providing appreciation for others and as known as like a great recognizer, you know, like I think there's a lot of people in the company who are great recruiters or great trainers. I think it's awesome to be known as a great recognizer. What are some ways that manifests in your organization that you are able to appreciate and show recognition for people? I thrive off of recognition. My number one love language is words of affirmation. And I know that about myself. And I realize that if, I, if it feels good when people speak highly of me or when people show appreciation to me, well, I, I want to give that back to others. So it starts from the very bottom basic line of just showing respect for everyone who, who you come across and everybody in your organization. My dad taught me early on, he used to tell me and my brothers that everyone you meet is, is smarter or knows more than you about something. So always having respect for others, whether it's a brand new representative or, or a colleague or a peer or somebody that um, is above you. So when I was trying to attract and develop leaders, I think that really manifested and I attracted the right people because I was able to show true appreciation. I was able to be an authentic leader. I wasn't dangling carrots. I wasn't passive aggressive. I wasn't giving empty threats. I was uh, really caring about the people that I worked with. And, and it came from a, from a good spot, obviously. I, I think about those early leaders uh, and, and the people who stuck with me for so long. And uh, the amount of reps who started with me after senior year in high school, graduated through the program for four or five years, even through grad school, many of them. And I have these incredible relationships with, you know, now 10 years later, I've been going to uh, weddings and, and, you know, baby showers over the past couple of years of, of reps who started with me a decade ago. And that's been so incredible. I just gave a toast at uh, Mary Kate Kelly, one of my pilot managers, just gave a toast at her wedding the other night. And I was like, just full of tears. I was just bawling because I was just realizing and appreciating all of the people that I've been able to work with over the years and, and have a close relationship with. So it also comes with, with tangible things and, and showing appreciation and investing into people, investing time, investing energy, investing money. You know, Nick Matlack, for example, He's a division manager now in Oklahoma City. He was in Rocky Mountain Division from, from the beginning. And when he was de debating moving from Albuquerque to Denver, we had to decide, you know, do we put a district manager in that territory or do we save it for Nick? And, and we made the decision, I'm just going to save it for Nick. And I put a couple branch managers in that territory for a year, held the spot. And then Nick was able to move and ended up being one of uh, the all-time best district managers in our division and region and now a division manager. So investing into people, I think about partnerships. You know, Robert Danbury and Curtis Jacobs, two of the greatest Cutco sales professionals of all time. They are my CSP coordinators. And a decade ago, I realized that if I gave them the tools, the permission, and the confidence to really own that program and really develop that program, they were going to do a much better job getting the result than if I just 
kept on to that ownership if I held tight and and was stubborn about it's going to be my way or, or or the highway. And and I gave Curtis and Robert that ownership and and they've developed one of the most impressive organizations. We've developed incredible CSPs and Hall of Famers and you know I think about you know all of the incredible uh, reps who are still in the business and also those who've gone on to do great things uh, after they've gone through our program. So giving that ownership locking arms with Patty and Nick and Kevin Barth, now my assistant division manager, and Alex Masaryk, who was my pilot manager for a few years and now one of the top DMs in the company, just being able to lock arms with with my team and partner and and ask for help and, and realize that I don't have all the answers. And I used to think, there was a time where I thought I had all the answers, but I, I don't and I needed help. And so I learned how to partner. I partnered with people outside of my division. Danny Feldman, you know, we wrote training programs together. I remember, you know, uh, going into company events early with Kathy, now Kathy Kristen, who's Kathy Vasquez at the time, Carl Gedris, Ryan Casey. The four of us would go in two days early to some of the conferences so we could work on programs. So I just learned how to partner and appreciate people, but also appreciate the value that people give. And realizing that people are capable of so much more. And when I give them the opportunity, they most of the time will impress me more than I thought they were going to. Mm, Very good insight, Drew. I can remember when I was a relatively new manager, somebody teaching that the number one key to success in developing your organization is love your people. And uh, really developing that sincere feeling of care and appreciation for everyone around you, appreciating their unique strengths, the things that they bring that might be different from what you have, and just all of the package that comes with working with different and diverse individuals and developing that real care that you talked about where you've, you know, felt emotional, you know, given a toast at uh, one of your, uh, you know, former reps weddings. And I I could see that you've done that you know, in spades with your organization. And that's been one of the big keys to why people have stuck around you for so long, why you built your office to such excellence and why you've built your division uh, to such excellence. Let's talk a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Division, Drew, because I think uh, people might wonder, you know, what's it like to be part of Drew's organization? What's it like to be part of the Rocky Mountain Division? And I'd, lo- I'd love for you to speak to what are some of the elements of culture in the Rocky Mountain Division that have led to such success. And for context, for anybody that isn't familiar with Drew Frank, the company has 40-something geographic divisions all across the United States. Rocky Mountain Division has been number one for the last five years. And the only year they weren't number one, they were number two to one of Drew's close colleagues that has uh, been influenced greatly by Drew and influenced Drew greatly a real teammate there in the Southwest region, Stacy Campbell. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Rocky Mountain Division culture. There are a handful of keys to Rocky Mountain culture, and it starts with empowering people. And as I just mentioned, the partnerships, letting people have an opportunity to succeed and, and not just giving them the, the, the physical tools, but really the belief. And it's is spewing confidence into people, whether it's, you know, their first day in training or the way that we recruit people. It's that positive energy that everybody has. You know, we walk with a different step. We, we come to our organization. We come to our office with unbelievable expectations and the desire to win the day. And, you know, I think some of it comes from my personal leadership where I, you know, I, I expect a lot from myself and I want to win the day personally. And whether that's a work day or whether that's, you know, exercising or going on a long bike ride, I just want to be successful at things I do. So we try to eliminate mediocrity. And that's one of the core elements in the Rocky Mountain Division is that if you're going to do something, you might as well be great at it, right? Whether you're selling knives, whether you're playing sports, whether you're dating, you might as well be great at everything you do. So if you don't feel like you're on top of your game, then work on it and find the ways and ask the tough questions and get the mentors and learn and read and and figure it out. So we have a strong belief in personal development that comes from that, that not wanting to, to be mediocre in our, in our lives and in our business and that personal development, whether it's athletic or physical, 
it's really neat to see that people in our organization take these concepts and, and do incredible things in their lives, whether it's, you know, again, personal experiences or other businesses. I love that Robert Danbury and Will Haugen are competing against how many properties they can own uh, because of some of the books that, you know, even you taught me how to read. And, and those are the ones that I gave to them early on. And, and it's incredible to see that, that impact of the personal development. We also understand and realize that you can't cut corners. And how to get great at anything is through repetition and passion. You can't become the next Curtis JQs or, you know, the next Josh Muller by just, you know, saying to yourself, I'm going to be great. You have to put in the work. And we talk about repetition and passion and we try not to over teach. How to get great at anything is just do it over and over and over again and fall in love with what you do. If you love Cutco, if you love the product and you do enough appointments, you're going to sell a heck of a lot of knives. If you run a lot of interviews or you make a lot of uh, personal recruiting calls or you run a lot of trainings and you love what you do, eventually you're going to get really good at it. I love that I feel like I get better every year. I feel like I've gotten better every year in my organization because I continue uh, to work on those things because I just keep on doing it over and over and I continue to love what I do. You know, we love what we're good at and we hate what we're bad at. And if, if, if you don't like making phone calls, it means you're probably not that good at it. So either give up or figure out a way to get good at it if it matters to you that much. If it means something to you and you want to be successful, we'll figure it out. Same thing with, you know, with sports. If you, if you want to be good, if you want to be good at it, put the time and effort into it. So those are important concepts to us. And then the final one I would say is complacency is the enemy of consistency and success. And it's important when you, are a business owner. And when you're a sales rep, you own your own business. When you're a, a district or division manager, you own your own business. Even just as a person, you own your own life. And, and being a boss and an employee at the same time is extremely challenging because you have to give yourself the orders and accept them and you have to find that balance. So that not being complacent with our efforts and activity is so important because it, it allows us to consistently get results uh, week after week, year after year. You talked about, you know, decade of, of national championships, and that's just been building blocks. And but we, we don't uh, necessarily compete against anybody else. We just say, how do we improve year to year? And how do we take incremental steps to, to compete against ourselves and to get better? So the silver cups and the trophies, they're fun and they're, they're a blast. And, and um, you know, but, but they're just a product of that consistency and not getting complacent over a long period of time. That was great, Drew. You, you referenced repetition. And I know that when I've watched you speak, you're very good at teaching, uh, in ways that really get into the minds of people and get into the hearts of people and get people to internalize the material. You've talked about this, uh, you know, repeats, repeat stuff three times concept. I know you utilize that a lot when you teach. Can you speak to that a little bit and how you, how you utilize that in your, in your development of people? Of course. I'm a broken record during whether it's training or an interview or just in conversation. I like people to really understand the main point because most of the time we, we assume that people have a, a lot larger attention span or, or bandwidth to take, to take in all the great things that we think we have in our head. And, and I just realized that it, it comes down to a couple key concepts in any part of the business. And as long as somebody just really understands, here's the key concept, focus on A, B, and C, and you'll be successful. One that takes the pressure off of them and also takes the pressure off of me teaching. Because if I only have to teach these key things and that, typically gets the result, uh, it makes it easier for everyone. So I repeat everything at least three times. The first time somebody, the first time I say something, people hear, it, right? They hear it. They may understand it or not. They may just deflect it. They may not be paying attention. So if I say something once, like the, the team meeting is this time, and I expect everyone to show up to the team meeting at that time, that's ridiculous. So I realized that I just have to over-communicate. And if it's a concept like, make sure you show your best prospect as your first appointment, I have to over-communicate that too, because they really have to get it. So the first time somebody, I say something, people hear it. The second time you say something, people understand it and they conceptualize it. And then the third time that you say it, they, they make a decision and they say, is this worth my time? Am I going to do it or not? So you hear it. And then you conceptualize, you understand it, and then you make a decision whether you're going to take action on it. So that, that's my key of repeating at least three times. That's just a great lesson for people, and, and particularly in training or any sort of teaching role. 
uh, is making sure that you repeat something enough that the concept gets internalized. I've always taught people that repetition is the key to buy-in. If we want people to actually buy into a concept where they actually take action, as you said, it takes at least three times for that to act to occur. You're also great at developing specific metrics for success. And, and I, I, th- I think this is something that you've been known for just in watching you speak is talking about different metrics for success. How have you utilized the, the idea of metrics for success in your division? Big goals are really scary. So when you have a giant goal and you're thinking about that, it becomes overwhelming and most people just give up. So I realized that whether it was for my own goals or whether it was me teaching others how to hit their goals, I needed to simplify it and make it activity-based and action-based because if it was all about work really hard and, and inspire people and you're going to you know win this or you're going to hit this this level, I realized that doesn't work. So part of those one-page PDFs were, were kind of using a lot of math and, and using a lot of numbers. And that's not my background. I'm not a math person necessarily, but I'm realizing, I realized over the time that you know, you break down the larger goal into bite-sized pieces. It becomes so much more attainable and, and people believe in it so much more. Also, you just realize that it's actually possible. So for example, you know, we have a, a metric about the newsletter and the newsletter in, in Cutco is hitting a thousand dollars in sales. And I, I did a bunch of math and I did a bunch of uh, research and I realized that it's pretty spot on that there's this two and a half times multiplier that for the number of representatives in the office that hit a thousand dollars in sales or more for the week, if you multiply that by two and a half, you know, that's the amount of thousands of dollars you're going to sell for the week. And it works every time. And it's scary how how these numbers work and the metrics work. But what I did was I started realizing that instead of saying, I'm going to go after a $20,000 sales week, I realized that every time I had eight individual reps hit $1,000 in sales for the week, I always had a $20,000 sales week. And I realized that every time I had a, I had 20 representatives hit $1,000 in sales, I had a $50,000 sales week. And then we started asking the question, and, and Trent Booth, my, one of my original mentors, he, he asked me, and this is once I had my first 50K week, he said, what does a 100K week look like? And I started thinking about it. And I said, well, if I do the math, it's just 40 people hitting $1,000 in sales. So I changed the way I thought about the business because it wasn't about going after these big goals and having all these big sales. It's how do I inspire 40 individuals to want to hit that? And then I started peeling back the layers. Well, I've got to sit down with 40 individual people and have a one-on-one conversation and teach them how to be, you know, how to go after their goal and why it's important to hit this level. I need to, you know, make sure they show up to the team meeting so I can, you know, inspire. So it was all about driving that number. And when I boiled it down to what's the one thing, and we've, you know, had uh, guest speakers at our conferences about, you know, the one thing. Uh, and, and so I just boiling it down to what's the most important thing that's going to get me to that result. And that's the metric that I create in recruiting. It's that I need X amount of phone calls to produce X amount of result. And so I'm going to put that in my schedule and make it happen. If I need to have this many, you know, representatives at this many level in sales, I'm going to put that in my schedule and make it happen. So it was creating, taking a goal and being able to deconstruct it and, and put it into actionable steps. Yeah, that is a great concept, Drew, that I really feel like everybody could chew on is just understanding how to take big goals and break them down into what do I have to do now to be able to be on pace for that goal and then taking action on those small steps and that by taking action on those small steps, that is how you achieve big goals. And that applies to selling in, in Cutco. It applies to leadership in any other uh, position that we're in. It applies to our, you know, financial long-term success. Every long-term goal that we could set can be tracked back to or traced back to what do I need to do now? And that if we can uh, put those small steps into action, that's how we get to, to be able to be so successful. So I, I feel like you've taught a lot of people about that in, in so many different ways uh, that have been impactful and that, that have helped. You also said something pretty interesting uh, a few minutes ago. You said something about uh, you love what you're good at, you know, and you don't like what you're not good at. I feel like when people, oftentimes when people leave the business, they'll say something like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not having fun anymore. And a lot of times the reason they're not having fun anymore is because they're not thriving in that moment. They've allowed themselves to backslide 
and they're not thriving. And of course, if you were, you know, once doing something, you know, at a certain level and then you slide back a little bit, it's easy to stop enjoying it as much. How does one sort of recapture that enthusiasm to become great at something? They've been doing it for a while and they've had a little bit of a regression. You know, how, how would you counsel somebody on how to recapture uh, their quest to be great at something so that they enjoy it once again the way they once did? Sure. I've seen that over the years, as you have, we've seen lots of managers take that roller coaster and we've seen a lot of managers, you know, have a couple, you know, year two, couple of years of good years. And then they, then they drift off. So, and sometimes it's because mentally they disengage and it's important to continue to be engaged in your business. And typically, well, not typically your business is always a reflection of you, no matter what. And, and you cannot get away from that. And no matter how many times I tell myself that, you know, it's unfair and all these things are happening to me, my business is always a 100% reflection of me. Last year, for example, we had a really tough year and I had to look deep and I had to say, okay, well, is it, are there other factors? Is it other people's fault or was it just the way I was showing up? And, and it's important to realize that how you show up is so important. So if you're not stimulated, and I've been there so many times, I feel like, you know, at least once a week, I'm not stimulated to, to do something in my business, but it's, it's that constant reminder. You know, we talk about goals and dreams and, and knowing what you're shooting for. And that's important. But for me, it's always about teaching. If I have a big group of people around me that I'm teaching, I have people that, that I'm responsible for and, and that are counting on me, then I'm always going to show up the right way because I'm not going to cut corners for people that I care about. And uh, it, it's, it's showing up and making sure that I have people that are there to inspire and, you know, whether it's a staff or, or people that I'm partnering with, but uh, making sure there's people around me, making sure that I'm always teaching. I am really proud of the number of cross trainers that I've had in Denver. I've had over a hundred cross trainers uh, over the last decade come and stay at my place and, and watch me run training. And, and uh, that was really important to me because when I was teaching, I felt like I was at my best because I was making sure that I was, I was focused. I wasn't cutting corners. I was getting the best of myself. And I also realized that when I'm creating I feel inspired about my business. I'm always working on programs. I'm always working on whether it's a new document, uh, updates for training, tweaking verbiage. I'm constantly improving and working on my business. And I feel like when I'm working on my business, I'm inspired about it. And when I'm not working on my business, that's when I start to feel mentally disengaged and, and a little bit numb. Hmm. Good, good points right there. You know, I once heard somebody speak about uh, a concept he called being below the line. And being below the line was basically when you just don't feel inspired, don't feel motivated, don't feel really into what you're doing. And it's a, it's a state that we all go into from time to time. And his point was that the way that you go back above the line is through contribution. It's through investing yourself in other people around you, whether it be through teaching, like you said, or some other way that you do something for other people, that's what tends to make people feel uplifted and inspired once again. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us in our businesses as, you know, Mark Lovis, the great Mark Lovis used to always say, you know, get off self and on purpose, right? I think that a lot of times we, we focus on ourself and what we want and uh, the way to get yourself back on track and be inspired is to recapture that purpose, recapture your whys. Why are you doing what you're doing? Right. What are your longer term goals? Sometimes if the shorter term ones aren't being hit, what are some of the longer term goals you have that you can derive greater inspiration from? And, and just kind of recapturing those reasons, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, investing in our people, giving to our people. These are all some of the things that I think can help take people through some of the uh, inevitable downturns that they have on their path to success. Drew, I know one thing you do uh, in your personal life is you've gotten into Ironman triathlon. And the Ironman distance, of course, is two and a half mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26 mile run, incredible feat, uh, you know, of uh, physical endurance and, uh, and, and mental strength. And I would love to hear just how you got into Ironman and what, what are some things you've learned from uh, engaging in this activity? So I got into Ironman because at the time I was a little bit out of shape and I wanted something to give me uh, accountability for uh, getting in good shape. I wanted to be in better shape 
in my 30s than I was in my 20s. And that was something that I wrote on a dreams list. And I said, the only way I'm going to do that is if I force myself to have a goal and, and make myself work out. So my buddy, Dustin Marks, who's a former division manager, uh, he said, well, why don't you do an Ironman? He had done a couple and I, I didn't read up on it. I had no idea what the actual distances were. And I didn't own a bike, a road bike at the time. And I also had never swam laps in a pool before. And the Ironman was 11 months away. So I, he said, well, just sign up. And I'm a vector person. So of course I signed up before I, you know, I, it was like the, the ready stream. <laughs> and, uh, and so I signed up and I had 11 months and he said, okay, now you need to find a coach. And I said, well, I need a bike first. But so I, I got a coach and well, I interviewed a coach first and I said, I'm doing this Ironman. It's in 11 months. And she's like, and, and she asked me the basic questions and she said, you're crazy. This isn't going to happen. So I was like, well, you're crazy. Let me get a different coach. Cause I wasn't going to let somebody tell me that I shouldn't attempt it. Uh, so I started uh, getting some lessons and I, and I got coaching and the real motivation behind doing it was, uh, one, one, the physical health, uh, two was the personal time. I realized that as a business owner, a lot of my time was chewed up with pouring into others. And I just wanted to have some personal time in my own head and, and get some good thinking while I'm face down in, in a pool or a lake. And then, uh, and the third thing was just expanding capacity. And I, I realized through the process that I was capable of, of so much more and, and not just physically. I mean, fighting through the injuries and, you know, losing all the toenails and, and having, you know, torn, you know, torn muscles and, you know, being off, off your feet for a month or two as you're recuperating through that process, you know, the long hours, the, you know, the hundred mile bike rides, all of those things, it, it really forced me to, to understand that you're capable of so much more, you have so much more potential, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. And, uh, and that was really important to me. And, uh, having that, you know, lesson for myself, I, I you know, try to, uh, instill that in others too. It's awesome that, you're somebody that teaches people the concept that you can accomplish a lot more than you think you're capable of and that you live that in your life through triathlon. Drew, uh, what, uh, what other words of wisdom do you feel like you'd like to have uh, with, this, uh, with this audience? I just love my team and I, I love the people that I, that I work with. I think about my district managers, you know, I think about the, those, the, the relationships that extend beyond, beyond work. And I think about Athena Lopez, one of my district managers in Albuquerque, and uh, she's a phenomenal district manager, but more importantly, the relationship that, that we've been able to build, you know, over, over the years is, is so important. And I think that what I've gotten to experience in Vector is so special because of the, the people that invested into me, but also the people that I've been able to invest in. And no matter what business, whether it's selling knives or, or anything, it's find mentors and, and find great people and, and lock your arms and allow yourself to, to be, uh, you know, enveloped in that, that group of, you know, leaders of, of great people and, and people that you take value from. So. The other thing that I would say is, uh, life is short and we've got, we've got one chance at it. Uh, one of our district managers, Kata Montoya passed away last Thanksgiving coming up on a one year anniversary of, of his car accident. And, uh, Kaden started in my office, was one of the top reps and just a grinder, just worked his tail off and, and every day had a smile on his face and, uh, was just that, that pure joy of, of what Vector represents. And he was just that ideal rep that getting the most out of his college experience selling Cutco, paying his way through school, you know, teaching him how to be a, a better man. And, uh, he, he ran a branch office and won the company trip. He opened up a district office and he was one of the top new district managers in the company. And he was just getting started and uh, just really making it into his own and becoming a true individual and a true man in his, in the business and in the world. And, uh, it was, his life was taken from him and it was a reminder to me and a reminder to our organization of the importance of opportunity and the importance of, of your life and that you've got one chance and time is finite and, People are capable of much more and you might as well go after it and go after your goals, go after your dreams because, you know, life is precious and it's worth going after. Yeah, no doubt, Drew. Well, that's fantastic, Drew. I'm excited to be able to have a, uh, a window seat to look upon your career uh, out here and to have seen all the great things that you've accomplished. When I think of you, Drew, I really think about a true, sincere desire to be excellent, to be great at what you do, 
you said something earlier in the interview about, uh, you know, you might as well be great at everything you do. And I think that you have been an awesome example of that in so many ways. And it's been inspirational to be able to have seen it. And I think that you are inspiring an entire legion of people in our company right now. And uh, probably a lot of people who are outside the company now that have uh, come upon you. So kudos to you for all the great things you've done, Drew. And thank you so much for your time and your energy here today. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for being one of my mentors over the last decade. Awesome. The incomparable Drew Frank, ladies and gentlemen, loved hearing about him starting out as a sales rep in the Philadelphia area uh, while out there at Penn State, and then moving out to Colorado. And one of the things I've heard Drew say before is that he bet on himself when he moved to Colorado. He bet on himself. He left everything behind uh, in Philadelphia to go out to a new place, start a new career, a new life. And it led to amazing success. And it just gets me thinking about, you know, hopefully you think about when did you bet on yourself or how can you bet on yourself in your life, in your career? One of the hallmarks of Drew's career is that he worked on his craft. He talked a lot about studying, perfecting, mastering his craft, coaching with Trent Booth, cross-training with Jake Bailey, all of the effort he put into learning how to be great in terms of developing his people. I love where he talks about the three points, which is making people feel really good, making sure people have something to do, right? Goals, vision, steps, and then a plan a plan to achieve those goals, a plan to achieve what it is that they want. If people feel good, they're motivated, they're inspired, they have goals, then they have a plan, then typically action takes place, it leads them in a positive direction and an upward spiral can begin. Drew also said, you might as well be great at everything you do. And this is a guy who is really, really, really great at the things that he does. And he says, your business is always a reflection of you. And that's the point I want to leave you on today is just thinking about what is the state of your business? What is the state of other elements of your life? And how does that reflect you in this present moment? How does that reflect the effort you are bringing? How does that reflect the attitude that you are exhibiting? How does that reflect the person who you are now? Consider that. Think about how you might be able to develop in that area to create more of what you want in your life. Life is short, one chance, let's crush it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.